Good to see each and every one of you this morning. We're looking at Daniel today. We're going to start in chapter 2, but we're really looking at chapter 3. Daniel, what a great book. Uh, I'm not named specifically after Daniel, but I appreciate having the name, obviously, many years after, I guess you'd say, but uh, it's named my son Daniel, and that means God is my judge, and that is something good to know that uh, God is my judge. It's also something to scare you to death that uh, one day we'll be before, stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for everything we've done as Christians. That's tough stuff, but we know God is good and faithful. Preaching about three young men today, and you know them very well. You've heard songs and so forth about them. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You say, wait a minute, Pastor. I thought it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, that's what the Babylonian name was, but their God-given names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so when we preach about them, we ought to at least mention that because those are names that really mean something. Where the names uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are named after Babylonian gods. And so that's worth mentioning, isn't it? Uh, uh, my, kids, my kids were perfect until they were 18 months old. Then they began to display characteristics from the in-law side. <laughs> and I realized they're not perfect. These guys were great, but again, they weren't perfect. But God is gracious and faithful with his children. So if you have chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, we're going to read those two verses. We're talking about several Bible characters today. One of them, of course, being Nebuchadnezzar. And we find three times in Daniel... He makes a statement or two about God. And the question has always been, was he converted or not? And uh, what's wrong with this guy? And we're going to look at that for a moment today. In chapter 2, when you have it, stand with me. Verse 46. Now remember, Daniel was thrown in a lion's den, released. And then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets. Because Daniel, of course, you know the story, had interpreted a dream. Later he's thrown a lion's den. Then look at chapter 3, verse 29. After the experience with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are better known to you as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As my black preacher says, a blessed Negro. Uh, that's, that's how you know the names. Verse 29, the last part of the verse, the Bible says, we'll read the whole verse. Therefore, I make a decree that if every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill. Because there's no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then turn over to chapter 4 in verse 34. 434. Now here is another great experience. Daniel explains another dream. <clears throat> and in 434, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned unto me. For seven years he was nuts. He would have been in a mental institution had there been one, but there wasn't one. He was just out in the field acting like an animal. He was nuts. He lost his mind because of his arrogance. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. So we see this progression in his life of recognizing there's only one true God. 
Was he a believer? We don't know. We'll talk about that a little bit in a moment. Let's pray. God bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in this world. We know you've given us a guidebook, a book of instruction, a book of love, a book of truth. And here we have the lives of three young men and the lives of an evil emperor. And God, we learned something today from them. Bless us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the Hebrew Bible, you may be seated. Thank you. In the Hebrew Bible, Daniel's not listed with the prophets. Now, you know, there's 16 prophets in the Bible, 12 minor prophets, only called minor because they're short in length, and four major prophets. Jesus does call him a prophet. In our English arrangement, we have placed it in him in with the prophets. In the Hebrew Bible, remember, 2 Chronicles is the last book. In our Bible, our Old Testament, Malachi's the last book. So there are differences. But Daniel uh, was a contemporary of Ezekiel, lived at the same time as Ezekiel. And Ezekiel said about him that he was righteous and wise. And much of the things these guys prophesied, they saw come to fulfillment in their own life. Daniel prophesied of, of Babylon, and then he was carried away as a captive along with these three guys. And later he prayed and the prayer was answered for restoration. They could go back to the Holy Land and start all over, build a new temple and all those things. I've given you a lot of information you don't need, but we know that Daniel was a man who lived to see much of his prophecy fulfilled. He lived 90 years and he was able, by the inspiration of God, to name kingdoms that would come one after another. Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then Rome, which would be an empire that would be strong in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then for a while phased out. But one day, Revelation says that they will come back as an empire. Again, a leader will rise out of Rome and lead this world, an ungodly man, the man of sin. Josephus talks about Daniel and uh, how his uh, books were so prevalent in a a period of Jewish history. We know that the Qumran caves over there in Israel have found several copies of Daniel in the last hundreds, several hundred years. But we know this, this book has been proven archaeologically correct many times. Discoveries have come along and said, wow, once again, Daniel's right on target. In fact, just to be able to say prophetically that Babylon would rise as a world power and be defeated by the Medes and the Persians, and then the Medes and the Persians would rule, and then we know that Greek, the Greeks would come in, Alexander the Great, and defeat them. Daniel could prophesy that hundreds of years before it happened because God told him what to write. We call that inspiration. So he can name empires and monarchs, and it's obviously brilliant, brilliant uh, scripture. Uh, you think about Daniel, there's six chapters, historical, the first six, and the last six are prophetic. Someone once said it's a historical night and a prophetic light. And certainly it's a clear divide in those six chapters, history, prophecy. And he also speaks in two languages or writes in two languages. It's quite interesting that in chapter two through chapter seven, he speaks in Aramaic. Aramaic was the language of the day of the Gentile world. But in chapter 1 and chapters 8 through 12, he speaks in Hebrew or writes in Hebrew because he's talking about Israel and what's going to happen to the God's people. And so he uses two languages. And that's also fascinating to me. Now, I put out in the lobby, and I forgot to tell someone to give them out, but out in the lobby on the back, I've given you a couple outlines. Grab on your way out. 
and bring home. The phrase, he touched me, is found five times in Daniel. That's worth grabbing that sheet of paper and looking at that. But also there's out there in that little outline the purpose of Daniel. There's a five-fold purpose. First of all, he gives examples of personal dedication. I, I love that with Daniel and these three. We'll call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I love that we learn about their lives. You know what I love about the Bible? I love everything about the Bible. But another thing I love is we have in the Bible examples of good and bad. And we can always find ourselves somewhere in the Bible. The Bible is written with the bad examples as well as the good. Why? So we realize that God's redemption is necessary and that once we've been redeemed, there's hope for a new life. A lot of people have given up. I know Christians that have made mistakes and they've quit on God, quit serving God, quit going to church because they're embarrassed by the mistakes they made. Listen, read your Bible. And there's someone like you in the Bible. I mean, we learn about the great men of God like David. And what did David do? He had a two-year affair with Bathsheba. Then he committed second-degree murder to cover up his sin. We think about Moses beating an Egyptian to death. And on and on and on we could go, right? We could find every sin. We think about Abraham lying, Isaac lying a little more, and then his grandson Jacob being called a deceiver, a liar. So we find that in the Bible. We can identify with that. We can say, hey, if those guys were men of God and used of God, then any mistake that I have made or that you have made, God still can use us. That's what grace is all about. There's one thing I don't like about certain movements, and ours sometimes is a part of the movement. We are very judgmental, condemning, and critical. We write people off because of their past mistake. You know, God never writes us off. Amen? When he wrote my name down, it stays there forever. He's never done with me. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. And so that's the greatness of the Word of God, to share these examples. Then to show God's sovereignty over Gentile nations. God rules the world. Do you know God's in control of China? I'm glad, because if the devil had China, we might be overrun. But think of God being sovereign over Gentile nations. He names the rise and fall of nations throughout Scripture, not just in Daniel, but all through Scripture. We learn in the end the armies from the east will come after Israel. The big bear to the north, there's only two countries north of Israel, Turkey and, and Russia. Most believe it's Russia will come after Israel. Why? Israel's got all those natural resources right on the border of Syria. That great discovery three years ago of the largest crude oil supply in the world. Israel has it, man, and everybody wants it. They're going to come after it. That's all in, in the Bible. So we have God's sovereignty over Gentile nations and then God's faithfulness to his people. Think of the fact that he's going to save 144,000 Jews one day. He's faithful to them. They're lost right now. When a Jew passes away without Jesus, where do they go? To hell just like a Gentile. But God's going to save 144,000. And God's then going to save a bunch of Gentiles as well. But also the times of the Gentiles are outlined and the deliverance of Israel. So we find all that. Now, we're back in chapter 3. And in between chapter 2, when he made that great profession about how great Daniel's God is, 16 years have passed. Scholars say around 20, but the Greek Old Testament says 16 because it says it was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. So 16 years specifically are found in between these two chapters. And all has he ever changed. Because we see in verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar wants to make an image 
90 feet tall, nine feet wide of himself. Remember he had a dream in the previous chapter about an image, couldn't figure it out, threatened to kill all his wise men, and Daniel spoke up and said, I can tell you what the dream means. The head is you. You're the one in control of the world now. The shoulders, the silver represents the Medes and the Persians. Uh, and the hips and loin area, the Greeks, and the legs and feet, the Romans. You said, you're the head. Now Nebuchadnezzar, after uh, Daniel interpreted the dream, and oh, he elevated Daniel and bragged on him and bragged on God, what does he do? He wants an image made of himself. That's how arrogant he became. In 17 years, he became arrogant. He said, I don't want to just be the head. I want to be the whole thing. You know what my Bible says and your Bible says? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. When a man doesn't fear God, there's a problem. So scholars tell us he probably did not trust the Lord, Yahweh, as his Savior. He didn't believe in the Almighty God we believe at this time. He just revered him. In 2.38, here it says, in chapter 2.38, uh, and whosoever the children of men dwell, the, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven shall be made ruler. I'm going on fast. The last line, he says to him, thou art this head of gold. Now he wants to be the whole thing. 16, 17 years later, he's making an image and everybody's going to have to worship that image. It's all about him. A lot of people like that. You know somebody like that? You have a friend like that? It's all about them. Everything centers around them. That was Nebuchadnezzar. I had a little tea party this afternoon at three. It was very small, three guests and all, just I, myself, and me. Myself ate all the uh, sandwiches while I drank all the tea. It was I who ate the pie and passed the cake to me. That was Nebuchadnezzar. It was all about him. And we all live around people or know people who it's all about them. Big ego, I've got to be elevated, I've got to be worshipped, I've got to be praised, it's all about me. It's the opposite of humility. It's arrogance, it's pride. Pride is the only disease that people have that makes everyone sick except themselves. <laughs> you know, when somebody's arrogant, it's just nauseating. And you realize that person's headed for a fall. Well, so he makes this God, and he makes a decree that everyone will bow down to this God. In verse 3 of the text, it says, The princes and the governors, they gathered around, and they said, We're all going to bow down to this great image of Nebuchadnezzar. We're all going to worship him. Babel means confusion, the word. The Babylonians, way back in Genesis, believed that they were building a gate to God. They built this tower. Remember the arrogance? We'll get to God, we'll build this tower, hundreds and hundreds of feet high. We don't know how high. Archaeologists guess that this thing must have been several hundred feet high. They worked for many, many years. They got so confused and so many people in the world helped, they couldn't even communicate after a while because one nation's on this side and one nation over here with different languages. And so this is a place of confusion. The person who started Babylon is by a man by the name of Nimrod. The Bible says he was a mighty hunter. You remember Esau was a mighty hunter and very carnal, a type of the flesh. Well, Nimrod was very evil. And the Bible said he was the beginning of the kingdom. It was his kingdom. Now we have this 16, 17 years passed by. Daniel's somewhere out of the picture. I don't know where he is, but he comes back in. But he's not here at this time. And they make this decree that everyone's going to bow down to this God at certain times. But there's three men, the three amigos who say, 
we ain't doing that. Pardon the grammar. They didn't say ain't. That's not a Hebrew word. We're not doing that. That's none of that's Hebrew, but we're not going to bow. I like that. Everybody's doing it, so it should be okay. Romans 3.8 says, the end never justifies the means. Shall we do evil that good may come? And the Bible says, don't do that. Don't ever do something because something good may come of it. Don't sin to try to accomplish something good. We've all been there. We've all done that. The Bible warns against it. So here... That was divine interference for some reason. <laughs> Boy, I, I was thinking this, this, well, never mind. I won't tell you what I was thinking. I was wanting to shoot that thing with a gun, but you know, I didn't have my gun. Anyway, let's get back. Oh, the devil, he must not like something going on today. Romans chapter 13, and I, I love this passage of scripture. Let me just mention a couple of things here. In Romans 13, it says, let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there's no power but God, the powers that be ordained of God. And it says, don't resist the powers of God. And it's talking about obeying the people God has put in authority over you. You can read it later. Do you know that we're supposed to obey our government? Did you know we're supposed to obey our police officers? The government got real silent in here when I said the government. But we're supposed to obey everyone in authority over us. Now you have a conflict because there's a law that says you have to bow to this image or be tossed in the fire. What do you do? Well, in Acts chapter 4, verse 19, Peter and John answered them and said, Is it right in the sight of God to hearken to you more than God? But I want you to look at Acts 5, 29, and you should mark this in your Bible because this is important because there may be a day in your life where somebody in authority in your life asks you to do something and you're going to have to do it Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and did and say, no, I'm not doing it. And look what it says in Acts 5, 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than so in our laws, and someday it will probably happen, get to the point where we have to do something against what the Word of God says. What do we do? It's the only time that we can disobey our government. We disobey. Did you know that? I feel for the cake maker who had to take it all the way to the Supreme Court because they didn't want to make cakes for weddings of people of the same sex. I'm not bashing people of the same sex. They need to be saved like all sinners need to be saved. They're, they're no far further from God than the drunkard is or from you if you've never trusted Jesus. My point is there will be a day, I'll guarantee it, where they try to tell pastors that we have to preach weddings, preside over weddings of gay people as well as straight people. And that's when your pastor's going to be going to jail because I'm not doing it. And that's an extreme example, but there will be more to come as we get closer to the time uh, of the man of sin. He won't be revealed till the tribulation period, but there's going to be a time when the man of sin will come into this world and work miracles and everybody will obey him and take his mark. We'll be raptured out, praise God. I won't be here. I'll be gone. If you're here during the tribulation period, you've missed out on the rapture. But the fact of the matter is there will be a day where the man of sin will rule.
And if you don't take the mark, the Bible said you'll be decapitated. That's scary stuff. And that doesn't apply to, to anyone here who's born again. Because you're raptured and you're gone. But you know what? In between now and then, the Bible said the spirit of Antichrist already exists. I told you I'm going to preach a message on spiritual warfare because we are in warfare. The Bible says we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the air, the rulers of darkness. That's our battle. That's our battle. We have to realize that. But I like the scripture that says we just have to say no. Well, here back in our text, all the people are bowing down and we know that you know, all the languages and all the people of the world are bowing down and, and they're going to worship this image and the persecution is going to be intense. I, I like 1 Peter 4.12, which says here to us, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that is to try you. They were under persecution back then. We're blessed to be Americans, but it's going to get worse. It's not bad yet, but it'll get there. Paul said in Philippians 1.29, we're not just called to believe on him, but to suffer for his namesake. John 15.18-20 uh, tells us the world hates us. The world hates us. And then Nebuchadnezzar, who they say is a type of the Antichrist here. He's just like the Antichrist. He's upset. He's angry. And, and we pick up in, in verse, 12, verse 12, there are certain Jews, the accusers came, they were envious, envy is a big problem, and that can be a problem in the church and in the home, they're, that, that thou hast set over the affairs and they're not bowing, they're not doing what you said, Nebuchadnezzar. So he's now upset. I like 1 Samuel 2.30, them that honor me, I will honor. I like what Jesus said, whosoever will confess me before men, I'll confess him before my Father in heaven. Hey, it's tough to take a stand in an evil world. It's tough. It's challenging. It's challenging for all of us. And, and here these men are going and saying, oh, it's these Jews that are a problem. They're not obeying you, king. Look back with me to chapter 2 and verse 5. Chapter 2 and verse 5. Remember Nebuchadnezzar's angry in chapter 2 and verse 5? The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, these are his wise men, his religious men, the Chaldeans. The thing is gone from me. I can't remember the dream, he says. And if you will not make known unto me the dream and the with the interpretation, you'll be cut in pieces and your house will be made a dunghill. Look at verse 12, 2.12. For this cause, the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So all these guys that are now accusing the three Jews, we're going to be thrown and we're going to be killed and their houses destroyed, their families killed is what's implied there. And all this was going to happen to them. And you know what saved their neck? The Jews, especially Daniel, spoke up and said, I can tell you what you dreamed and I can tell you what your dream meant. Save their necks. Now what happens? Now they want to get rid of the Jews. They go and tattletale and say these men aren't bowing. And they wanted the Jews done with because they got sick of them being promoted. Daniel had been promoted. These guys had been promoted. And they hated, hated them. And they had forgotten what happened 20 years before. Look at verse 13 of chapter 3. How mad is Neb? Oh, Neb's angry. The Bible said Nebuchadnezzar in his rage. This means violent anger. It's the most severe Old Testament word on anger. He's in a violent rage. Just 
furious, wanting to kill these guys. Verse 14, he brings them in. He says, is this true what I've heard? And no doubt he's yelling at them. Did you not bow and you were supposed to bow to my image? Is it true? He said, I'll give you a second chance in verse 15. He said, I'll, I'll give you an opportunity. And if not, you're going to the fire furnace. And then he says, who's your God that's going to deliver you? Now, this is, different. this is different than when Pharaoh said, who is your God, to Moses. He was actually inquiring about God. This is arrogant. Nebuchadnezzar is belittling them. He's arrogant. He's sarcastic. He says, who is this God that's going to deliver you? He's, one, one writer says he's defiant and scornful. He's just so angry, so angry. And we know he says, who is your God? And this word God here is not the Hebrew word, it's the Aramaic word. Let me just back up to 2-4 for a moment. I explained this in my intro. I want you to mark your Bible here in chapter 2 and verse 4. In chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible says, Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac. This is the break where Syriac is Aramaic. This is the break where the language is changed to Aramaic. And of course, the, the image is described and from here through chapter 7. So Mark in chapter 2, circle that word Syriac, that is Aramaic. We, we tell people our Bible is written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. The Aramaic section begins right here in chapter 2, verse 4, and goes through chapter 7. Now, back to chapter 3. I'm right in the middle of the climax of this, and I had to point that out. That's, that's me. Forgive me. But anyway, the Bible says here he's upset. He gives them a second chance. He questions who their God is. And then in the middle of verse 16, they say to him, we're not careful to answer thee. Really, we're not ready to give you the answer you want. We don't really know how to say this to you, but here's what we've got to say. Verse 17 if it be so that our God who could deliver us doesn't or does, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Look at it says, verse 18, but if not, so he could deliver us, he may deliver us, but if not, it's okay. We're not bowing. Talk about courage. They know what, they know what lies ahead. They know they're going to be thrown in the furnace. They're going to be burned up. They know they're going to die. They don't care. They're not compromising. I love that. I love that. We teach kids a little song, Dare to be a Daniel. The lion's den was bad, but this is bad too. This is also bad. And, and I love that about God's word. Here are three guys that said, nope. We know God could deliver us. You can belittle our God all you want to. We're not going to bow to your statute because they knew the law of Moses and the law of Moses says don't bow to a graven image. That's worshiping an idol and don't do it. And they didn't do it. We need more Christians to say, I will not do that at work. I will not be part of that. I'm sorry. That's against everything I stand for. It's going to be offensive to my God, and I will not do it. I was a coward until I was about 19. I was doing all the wrong stuff. I was in a line. I was going to go in a club to drink and dance. I guess I thought I could dance or whatever, and I'm going into this club. And South Baptist Church, the youth pastor was in the passenger seat of a car, and he drove by. 
And he said, hey, Dan. And I don't know if he did it to humiliate me, but it worked. Because <laughs> he sees me on Sunday and on Friday night or Saturday night, I don't remember which night it was, but it was a sleepless, sleepless night, I'll tell you. Hey, Dan, I'm standing in line to go in that kind of a state. And I'm a Christian. My dad was a deacon. Here I am. You know what my problem was? I didn't dare say no to my friends. Let's go party. Come on, Mao, let's go party. And I didn't dare to be a Daniel. And that's what my mother named me. Now I remember that. That summer, a whole lot of things happened. I'm not going to tell you all those things. That's one thing. And I decided I am going to stand for God. I've been a coward and a compromiser too long, and now I'm standing for God. A friend of mine said, man, when you decided that, you never turned back. <laughs> I made a decision to dare to be something I wasn't. And from that day forward, I never went back to those kind of establishments. And God blessed that. God blessed that. We don't care. We'll do what you want. We're not going to bow to your image. Joshua said, fear not, nor be afraid. Isaiah said, fear not, for I am with thee. I am thy God. Jesus said, fear not those who can kill the body. Only fear the, fear the one who can cast you into hell. Job said, even if God slays me, I'm still going to trust him. Paul said in Hebrews, I will not fear what man can do to me. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be, shall be thy supply. You know, God will bless those who stand for him. He'll bless you. I'm not talking about necessarily you're going to be rich. You know, so many people, when you say God's going to bless, they think it's all money. The televangelists, you know how they, it's all about money. You put a dollar a seed in our ministry and you'll be blessed. My brother went to an event, a crusade one time. The guy, he went forward. He said, I'm in deep debt. Don't know what to do. The guy said, you give 2000 to our ministry and I'll pray your debts away. My brother's be 70 this year. He's still in debt. I don't know what happened with it, 2000, but it didn't work. There's a lot of reasons for being in debt. When I talk about the blessings of God, I'm talking about peace and joy. I, I'm talking about laying down at night and knowing you're right with God. You don't have anything to fear. And there will be provision. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, food, clothing, and shelter. We don't have to worry about anything. The righteous don't beg for bread. The problem is we don't live righteously. The problem is we live like the world and we're compromising. And that's what the Bible's talking about here. Dare to be a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So look how angry he is now. The Bible says in verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the, his face actually changed. His countenance changed. He's so angry. And he said, get that fire. Heat it seven times hotter than normal. And keep their clothes on them and tie them up in ropes and throw them in. And that's exactly what they did. The fire was so hot that the men who threw them in died instantly from the, the heat and the flames of the fire. Can you imagine that? Seven's an important number in Scripture, but here was a number used to totally, completely destroy these Hebrew children. He was so, so angry. 
And old Neb, he, he's under some sort of conviction. Look at verse 25. Nebuchadnezzar was a, a, back up to verse uh, 22. The men are killed with a flame. In verse 24, uh, the Bible says they, they fell down, bound in the midst of the burning flame. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished in verse 24 and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men into the furnace? He runs down there to look in. The fires died down. Certainly all he's going to see is some charred bones. Fire's probably down to a minimum. He probably stayed up all night worrying and wondering what happened. He didn't have a peaceful night. His night was worse than the three. So he goes down there and he looks in. The flames are, are, have died way down. He looks and says, what's going on? There's four in there. I thought we threw three in there. You need to mark your Bible. The last line he sees, he says, lo, I see four men loose walking. Where are the ropes? Where are the ropes? You know, they're walking around. They're not even hurt. And the form is like, of the fourth, to him it looked like the Son of God. Some sort of supernatural, and you know what? He was right. This is what we call a theophany. This is Jesus Christ before Bethlehem, a Christophany specifically. This is Christ in the fire with him. Jesus is there with him. I love that. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You know, he's with us no matter what. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So here is Yahweh. And verse 26, we, we see here again, Nebuchadnezzar comes near to the furnace and he, he calls them out. And he, he says, your servants are the most high God. Of course, he has another dream, has to restate once again later again that God is the God of gods. But he, he calls here God the Most High. And this is used 13 times in the book of Daniel, more than any other book. And then eight times we find the name Yahweh in here. I love this. First Peter 4.12 says this. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. I like 1 Peter 5.10, but the God of all grace would call us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ. After you have suffered a while, we'll make you perfect. Expect suffering. Expect suffering. But I'll tell you what, to think of Nebuchadnezzar and what he saw was something awesome. But even more than that, think about the three young men down there. Here's the angel of the Lord. That's what he's called in the Old Testament. Pre-incarnate Jesus Christ down there with them. They're not even hurt. I mean, you just imagine this. And you know, that's the Lord I know. No matter what I've been through, he's there. Remember years ago, I had a terrible, terrible trial in my life. I can't even share it with you. And I was sobbing, struggling for months and months with this trial. I called my mother. She said, read this psalm. And I went over to the psalm and she read to me on the phone. And I read that psalm all afternoon, all night, just kept reading it and reading it. And it was a difference for me. It was huge in my life. I said, thanks, Lord. 
you're with me. Did you know no matter what you're going through, God is there. He's with you. He'll never leave you because he's God. He's God. And here, the Savior of the world was with these three men. Says the Son of God. He's the Son of God. Did you know he's a star of Jacob? He's the shepherd. He's the stone of stumbling. He's the shield. He's the Son of God. He's the sword. He's the Son of the Blessed, the Son of the Highest, the Son of Man, the Son of David. He's a servant. He's a sanctification. He's salvation. He's my Savior. That's who was there with him, and that's who's with me, and that's who's with you if you know him today. If you don't today, when you're thrown into the flames, he will not be there to protect you. It's either some trials and some fire in this life of suffering, but it's a whole lot better than fire and flames forever and ever and ever. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I don't know the hearts here, Lord, but you do. Maybe there's some here that say, I, I'm a compromiser, Pastor. I, I need to stand for God. I failed God. Maybe there's some here, Lord, who say, I'm not a Christian. I want to become a Christian. And some that just say, praise God, he's been with me. He's so good. And I don't know the hearts, Lord, but I know that our altar's always open for anything. And we just pray, you, Lord, you speak to hearts. We know you speak through your word. We just ask you to close the service, leading us as you always do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.